John, you just relax. We'll take care of this. Yeah, we got this. It's not about it's not about Bitcoin. Don't worry. I, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to listen live. That's all, the only reason I'm here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 105 of PHP Ugly. I'm your host Tom Rideout. With me, as always, is Eric Van Johnson. Who said I didn't start broadcasting? And I started broadcasting. Broadcasting's going. You just have to wait a minute. It's going. Yeah. See you on there. As always. John Congdon. Hello, hello. How's it going, guys? It's another week, Thomas. Another week. Another hot, exhausting week. Hot, exhausting week. What is with you complaining about the heat? It's record the one temperatures here. You're like, oh, it's so cold. It's snowing. Oh, yeah, cozy. That was cozy, not cold. It was wonderful. Whatever. Now it's eighty-eight degrees. What have you guys been up to this week? I got a new phone. Did you get your uh, S9? I got the yeah, I got the S9 Plus, and I forgot that it's like the flagship of Samsung's line right now, and mm-hmm. comes with really nice headphones, and it's really fancy and awesome. But uh, I did not realize how out of touch I was with phone technology. I'm because I'm really way out of touch. What do you mean? What What's it do that surprises the you? The Note Four. Uh, was one of the first, I think, to have a fingerprint sensor on it. Um, and if it wasn't the, if it wasn't one of the first, it had, it had a really early version of the fingerprint sensor. Basically, didn't work very well. You had to slide your thumb across the thing several times before it would figure out who you were. And this thing, I accidentally touched the fingerprint sensor, and it's recognized my fingerprint. Like it's just boom, real fast. And then it does the facial recognition. So my unlock code for my phone is just looking at it when I unlock it. It flashes a red light at me twice, and then it's unlocked. It's amazingly fast. And then it has iris detection as well. So it does, like, eye pattern-based unlocking. Yeah, you, you, you are, like, way out of yeah. touch. All that well, stuff is so old, man. See, my phone, LastPass <laughs> for my Note 4, did not have support for the fingerprint sensor. So now LastPass pops up. I just put my finger on the fingerprint sensor and it gives me my password back, which blows me away. <laughs> yeah. And, and now, now the corporation Samsung has your fingerprints. So if they ever want to frame you for murder. that Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other side of this, though, is that when I got my, my Note 4, it had the App Store on. It had the Google Play Store. And that was it. This phone has yeah. three app stores. They have a Samsung one. Which yeah. sucks. The Samsung app store, which randomly installs stuff I don't want. And then the AT&T app store, which randomly pops up notifications for stuff I know was installed, like security checker and and backup automation assistant. And like I'm, I, for the first few days, I just kept getting new notifications of things I did not want and had to find to uninstall or, or remove or disable. I've got it finally to a state where... I'm not getting any more of that stuff, but I mean, it took, it took me four or five days to get it configured so that it would stop with the stuff. I just absolutely didn't care about. That's why I switched to the pixel. It was all that bloat bloatware. I was about to say that. I was like, that, that's the argument for the pixel right there. Absolutely. And I mean, that's to me, that's the argument for the pixel. It's just that I couldn't pay it all in one payment. You guys, you tweeted out this episode, uh, listen to, Listen to overworked some overworked developers. Are you guys overworked right now? Oh my gosh, I'm feeling so overworked. What's going on? Uh, just uh, you know, we have uh, 
we have a client that's really um, wanting to push their products kind of to the next level. I mean, they're in a very competitive market and um, they're trying to get into a position where they can be quicker to market with new applications. So they're just uh, kind of pushing our boundaries a little bit on how fast we can get things developed for them and uh, to market. It's fun. I mean, it, it keeps keeps things exciting. Just feeling a little overwhelmed right now because we have a couple of fairly highly uh, visible proof of concept applications they're trying to get developed. And it's a wide range from internal um, management system to customer facing uh, applications. We have a complete rewrite uh, of a existing application that kind of has to be done. And this is the client we're building a Greenfield app for now. And there's just a lot of uh, balls in the air right now with them. And just want to kind of continue to make them happy and make sure we can keep delivering for them. So it's, it's fine. It's just, uh, just stressful. Be nice to focus, uh, on, on one or two projects at a time, but you're just not in that position right now. John, you seem really relaxed. Is this, is this not affecting you at all? I'm ready to go to sleep. (laughs) Exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) I got a question for you guys. Um, are you guys familiar with Uncle Bob? No. Uh no? You you said no, no John? No. No? You both said no. no? Oh not off the top of my head. Okay. Well I've heard his name mentioned for years around uh coding development and especially conferences. He he does a lot of talks and does um a lot of books around coding and um patterns and things like that. But if you guys haven't heard of him, you you're you're kind of spoiling my um my question then because where I've heard I've heard of him for years. I just recently started watching some of his videos uh, because people speak so highly of him, and uh, I like the guy. Um, I like what he has to say. I mean, he, he's he seems like a pretty pretty cool guy. Uh, you know, gray beard with no beard. He's definitely been in the industry for a while. But I I was I felt like I was missing out on you know why everybody was so attracted to to his talks. Uh, so I was wondering if, you know, my question was going to be, am I missing, like, does he have some fantastic talk or some fantastic book that I should be reading? Because so so many people talk so highly about him. And like I said, I listen to him. He sounds cool. I mean, he sounds like about a dozen other speakers that I've, I've seen over the years. And um, I don't know. I was just wondering if I was missing something or, you know, if it was worth having him as a keynote. Uh, I mean, no, not a keynote. <laughs> no, I'm joking. He's not a keynote. <laughs> At Wave, PHP, in case you were wondering what I was referring to. But no, yeah, I was just wondering, but since you guys haven't heard of him, I, I guess I guess maybe he's he, he's not as popular as maybe I thought he was. I thought, like, every developer knew who Uncle Bob was. Now, this is... Well, now, now we're going to get, like, a stream of tweets back at us. It looks like he runs. You guys aren't real developers. You guys suck. It looks like he runs a lot of courses and does a lot of outreach and yeah. education. And right, like I said, I, I listened to like three of his talks. Um, all of them seemed, you know, okay, good, good enough talks. It, none of them blew me away. Like, oh my god, I never thought of life that way. But 
yeah, I, I particularly became a fan of him when I heard his opinion on Project Managers, and I'm like, all right, I like this guy. <laughs> well, I, I'm just looking at his Twitter, and it's just it just seems so very, very vanilla and safe and sage. I didn't even uh, check out his Twitter to be honest. Um, okay, well, I apologize to uh, taking your time. And uh, is it Uncle Bob Martin? Is that him? I think that's what you're talking about. Is it? software craftsman yeah that sounds like that would be him yeah yeah i don't know uh, he does t- touch on something that we've been touching on for a while something i'm kind of think that there needs to be some sort of so- solution in place is around developers ethics um you know he he on one of the talks I, i've seen and I, like i said i didn't didn't track the i didn't make note of the talks I listened to. So I apologize for not giving you a more specific talk to listen to, but in one of the talks I listened to, he refers, he references the fact that he feels at some point developers will need to have some sort of license and be very much like doctors where, you know, they'll have to adhere to a moral code to do development. I'm surprised that that didn't happen with HIPAA. I'm actually. surprised too. I, well, I'm surprised. Yeah. I, you know, you know what I think is going to do it is AI. I think we're going to reach a threshold in AI where the, the government or somebody's going to step in and say, "Wait a minute, we can't have just you know unmonitored people doing this development. They we have to put in some sort of regulations in place to to kind of control what's being developed and how it's being developed." I think if that's if that's the case, we're going to see a Dolly the Sheep type situation where someone's going to achieve a breakthrough, and that will spurn that kind of that kind of legislation. Although we did just have an interesting breakthrough in computer speech. Are you going to refer to something Google did or something else? Yeah. What's going on with that? I, I've seen so many tweets and and seen uh, RSS feeds around Google and. Their AI offering, and I haven't caught up on any of it. So the story is oh, hold essentially. On, hold on, Thomas. John, you just relax. We'll take care of this. <laughs> yeah, we got this. It's not about it's not about Bitcoin. Don't worry. I, 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 just wanted, to, I wanted to listen live. That's all, the only reason I'm here. Just to be part of the team. All right. I'm sorry, Thomas. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you the, also told me I'm out of personal days, so kind of had to show up. Yeah, well. <laughs> you're that person who wants to take a day off work but can't afford it, so you just sit in your cubicle. <laughs> Fuck these he, guys. He would take a sick Fuck day. Them. He would take a sick day, but Untapped would betray him. <laughs> uh, All right. I think the reason it's getting attention is because it's kind of funny if you watch the video, and it's a little creepy. Um, the creepy element. So the the video that. Google showed at uh, their big conference was a Google assistant acting as a secretary making an appointment for its user. I would say, Google, make me an appointment for a haircut. And it would call up my barber and start talking and say, I'm calling on behalf of my client. I would like to schedule an appointment. Uh, And it goes on like that. But there's... Is this where is this where I heard I heard one of the criticisms about it is and I don't know if this is what they were talking about was that the AI uh, 
tricks the person into thinking they're talking to another person by doing ums, ands, and it's not clear. Right. So it uses these linguistic uh, techniques called uh, interstitial words uh, or hanging interstitials, things that are used to indicate an understanding of what's being said to the other person. Uh, In Japanese, it's really, really common. So if you're on a phone call with somebody and one person is talking for a half an hour straight, the other person on the line will say, hi, hi, Mm -hmm. hi, to confirm understanding of the words, to confirm that they're still listening and that the communication is continuing the way the other person expects it to. And that same technique is being used here where the whole crowd laughs while one of the, while the, the stylist is talking to the AI and saying, yeah, let me look at what my schedule is here. Uh, and then the AI goes, mm-hmm. And the whole audience cracks up because AI is saying, mm-hmm, doesn't immediately make sense or feel comfortable. It's getting into that uncanny valley territory. Uh, then there's the other issue of being called by an AI. Uh, an unsolicited call from a person is one thing. An unsolicited call from a robot can be very unnerving if it's trying to achieve something that makes you uncomfortable. Like, could Mm -hmm. you imagine this AI calls you at your mechanics shop and says, I would like to order a pizza, and then spends 15 minutes trying to convince you, the mechanic, that you are, in fact, a pizza delivery man and that you must have it wrong. I mean, it's weird. We're getting into weird territory where we have to trust these computers quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me, it's it's cool, but it's silly. Yeah. So so Google had their, their, their conference, right? I mean, that's where all this stuff is being revealed. Yeah, this is all at GDC. Or, oh, yeah. Have you, guys ever, uh, have you guys ever attended Google I.O.? No. No. Would love to. Oh, my God. I, I got some of the most awesome things from Google I.O. when I, when I used to go. I went, I went for, I forget, two or three years. One year, we got the first version of the Chromebook, which I still have because it had the cool Android uh, – stuff on it and or no uh tablet first version of the tablet uh which has a bunch of uh, android uh, etched into it and when you got the first version of a chromebook and one of the phones i forget it was the first the first was, pixel but, and then the year after yeah. that they gave everyone google no it, it wasn't wasn't a wasn't a pixel i forget it was before it i loved was when they gave everyone that. google cardboard uh because it's like everyone's expecting like yeah. a four or five hundred dollar <laughs> device and they're like reach under your seats it's cardboard Hey! Well, that was that was the thing. That was the running joke. Is you know you spend three or four hundred dollars to attend the oh, conference or whatever the way. conference was, and you you got back double your money and no, like swag now. from them. It's really expensive. Is it that much now? I don't think it was that much when I was going. Yeah, but it was it was it's actually a really fun conference to go to as a developer as a tech person. So much cool stuff going on there. I wish I. Uh, I wish I could afford to go to it nowadays, but yeah, it's fun. But I, I was going somewhere with that. Oh, so yeah, they, I guess they announced, and one of the things that interests me, I, I'm personally one of these people that hate email. I despise email. And one of the things that they talked about was uh, Gmail. Now, you, you've, ha- you've had quick replies for a while. Now it's talking about Gmail composing a complete smart reply to your emails. And I'm like, well, that's kind of cool <laughs> and, and sending it on your behalf or you you get to approve no, it first. I, th- I think you still approve it yeah I, and I, I think it just does like a 
It does yeah, does yeah. like a type of head thing from now, the to demo me that was I interesting. Though, someone like, someone yeah I saw commented. This just goes to show how little actual information is in an email that we write to somebody. How much of it is just the pomp and circumstance of, of the English language? Um, but I think the opposite is also true. If they're this good at doing predictive text, then they're also very, very good at breaking down the contents of emails and categorizing it to what does it mean to our customer? What is this email about? Yeah. Fair point. E- e- emails was actually a topic of that book that John turned me on to. Uh, what was it? Deep Thought or Deep? focus deep, or deep work deep work yeah, yeah. And, and one of the topics they, they talked a lot about was emails and what sort of stuff you should be putting into an email basically when you're replying to somebody and what sort of stuff you should be looking at in an email when somebody's replying to you it was interesting again as, as somebody who really doesn't like email i it doesn't take a lot for me to say yeah email sucks so it's it's interesting that it's still around and still it's not as prevalent as I thought it would be. Like my mom still doesn't use email. I mean, she did for a little while, but you know, she's kind of dropped off. Everybody's like that, that uh, demographic of users have all migrated to Facebook messaging or, or, or some other messaging mm-hmm. platform. Yeah. So I don't get emails anymore from fam- friends or family. Uh, to be completely honest with you, one of them tries to get in touch with me. They'll message me on on one of the platforms. So for me, I mean, email is boiled down to services I use and the little business interaction I do th- through email. And some 2FA as well, I'm sure. I think I have one two-factor that comes in through email. Everything else is either Authy or... Yeah, it should be text or text, Google Authenticator, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it would. Yeah. But the email would still serve as your failover or your backup to your two FA if your phone got stolen or something. Yeah, true, true. Which I I find weird. I I don't. Email is is crazy to me. I I keep looking at it and thinking this this system is completely broken. Why are we using it at all? Uh, see, Stack Overflow. What's this about? Um, we 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 had a conversation about this. So if you're a developer, you know what Stack Overflow is. If you don't, then you're not a real developer. Because most of your work is done through Stack Overflow. <laughs> no, that's probably probably a wrong thing to say. No, but Stack Overflow has become the de facto place for developers to go post questions, look for answers. Ninety percent of when I search something on Google, ninety percent of the answers are Stack Overflow reply, and, and it, it's curated good replies typically. Uh, I guess Stack Overflow has an offering now where you can have Stack Overflow for Teams. And we had a conversation internally at Diego Dev whether or not we saw there was a benefit to this. And it's one of those things that, of course, there's a benefit, right? Like, everybody thinks this is a great idea. And, of course, I think it's a great idea. But then I sit there and look at, you know, the, the solutions we do have in place that we're paying for. And Stack Overflow doesn't have a free tier. It does all cost money. We have a project management system that sits idle 99.5% of the time because our biggest client, we don't have a reason to use it for our biggest client. They have their own project management system that they want to keep us in. And although we do keep some documentation in there, Nobody goes to update the documentation because, you know, once you get over a certain hurdle of learning what where things are, or what things do, you know, nobody bothers to look at the documentation again. That's kind of how I feel Stack Overflow would end up with us. Like there would be a there'd be a surge of questions that people would ask and we'd get some answers to. And, and this is all internal. This doesn't go outside of your team. 
but after a while, people would just stop using it, and we would just be paying for this this archive of information that everybody forgets to look at. Mm-hmm. What would be interesting is if there was a way for me to tie my Stack Overflow team into Google, into GitHub, into the other services I use, so that when I'm in those services, when I am asking a question, I have that that resource available to me, and it's not me having to remember to, okay, oh, yeah, let me go to Stack Overflow for Teams and see if somebody asks this question. So let me give you my opinion of this. I think I think problem one, they're marketing it completely wrong. Stack Overflow is the techie branch of the entire, uh, what, Stack company? What is the name of the, the company itself? Stack Exchange. Uh, Stack Overflow has websites dedicated to gaming, marketing, sales, uh, real estate, everything as in the same format. Now, we're used to it in Stack Overflow because we're the tech nerds that use it, but it has a broad reach. So it isn't just a, a database of programmer knowledge. This could be a database of marketing or TeamView or Excel cheats for HR or things like that. And look at a company that's not uh, 20 to 30, but look at a company that's uh, 100 to 200 employees. So you've got a database that's not just a Wikipedia, but something Mm -hmm. that's a sort of a question Mm -hmm. answer everyone can drop in. That's step one. Now, step two is that Stack Overflow's initial appeal for people when it launched was it has a sort of a trophy reward system. Uh, You get achievements, you get recognized for the best answer, you get you know, credit for what you've done. And it would be very smart of Stack Overflow to say, combine our trophy system with a bonus system in your HR department to promote interaction between departments and employees. We all know that the high-level programmer keeping all the secrets to himself is a problem in our industry, that he wants to be the one everyone depends on, and his job is not as complicated as he makes it look. Mm -hmm. We've all read those stories, you know? And this is a way of defeating that. This is a way of commoditizing or making a commodity of that person's knowledge so they get paid for the release of it instead of threatened with the fact that they're training their junior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, small teams like ours, like like the, my company, any company I've ever worked for, this doesn't make a ton of sense. The nice part about the for a small team is it's free up to ten users. No, was it free or ten dollars up to ten users? I thought I thought it was ten dollars for ten users. Yes, yeah, yeah. so ten dollars, ten dollars a month, ten dollars yeah. a month, not per user, but yeah. ten dollars total for those ten users. Ten dollars for ten users, five dollars a month additionally for each user. After yeah. That. So on a small team, it's just a place to store data, and it's kind of cheap. Why do you think it takes such such a big jump after ten users? Because that's their target market. Their target market is get the tech guys or get one department to test this out for a little while, and then bring in other mm-hmm. departments. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's still one of the things I struggle with Slack. Yeah. I'm not going. I'm not going to den- deny the the benefit we have with the Slack workflow. And an argument could be made that you could do that same workflow in Telegram or Discord or a million other services. So we continue to pay for Slack, but I, I am always kind of on the hunt for something better and cheaper because it just seems like it's such an expense. But back to Stack Overflow, you one of the things you touched on, Thomas, that that whole uh, badge system, that reward system, that that is part of the uh, Stack Overflow for Teams. Yeah, oh yeah, you get badges. Yeah, I just hey. I think that encouraging encouraging people to use that for more than just a, a a badge system on a website, but encourage HR to pay people for doing 
good work disseminating knowledge. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you another question because this actually comes up with another service, and I'm I'm constantly thinking about it. It's it's the paranoia in me that that does this. Putting that sort of sensitive, potentially sensitive information about your solutions, your platform, your business workflow, your uh, all sorts of of things. Putting that in an external service, you guys would feel 100% comfortable with that? No. You're not comfortable, but you're doing it anyway, no matter where it's at. It's just how yeah. visible is it to the outside world. Right. Yeah. The other, the other service I think about all the time is GitHub. I mean, how much proprietary information is stored in GitHub around companies that their entire business model is the repos that they have in GitHub. And basically GitHub has all that software available to them. I mean, it's on their infrastructure. I think about that a lot. Like mm-hmm. I get bothered about that a lot. Me. I get I get a lot of uh executives saying, no, 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 we have to have a, a hosted ourselves solution. Now, it's worth noting that the Stack Overflow uh teams does allow you to host your own server. You can completely remove it from their Yes. Oh, really? They, I didn't notice uh, that. If you Where click on the Enterprise at? tab and then drop down, you'll see that they talk about hosting it on one of their single sign-on servers or hosting it on your own private cloud or managed cloud. Interesting. Wow, that is that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Your own Stack Overflow with unlimited teams. Host anywhere. I'm sure, I'm sure it's 50,000. Yeah. <laughs> because we're not going to put that number on our website. <laughs> But yeah, for the uh, for the yeah. you buy it yourself version, you can't get uh, your you can't self host. Like, but yeah, I, I totally I I totally see the benefit to this on a big enterprise. I I can totally see that. Oh yeah, I always think about companies like Microsoft and Apple who have thousands and thousands of employees, uh-huh. or you know, thousands of developers, and and developers that just come and go like the breeze. You know, were you gonna say something, John? Nope. You know the answer to that already. I feel like I feel like he's struggling so hard. Every time he starts to talk, we should just Thomas and I should just shut up because he has very limited words in him tonight. So we need to <laughs> milk everything we can out of him. Anyways, I got the name of the show though. It's going to be Milking John. Gross. <laughs> just wrote that one down. I'm sure that that'll be good for a couple of clicks. I have I have a big story uh, that I want to get into today. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you guys prepared? Are you guys prepared for a conversation that's going to take up the rest of the podcast? <laughs> as long as it's not this free will, will isn't real bullshit. I'm I'm willing to have any conversation. Who controls GLibC? Why are we having this conversation? <laughs> You're obsessed by this story, aren't you? I am. I am very much. I don't so. know. I don't know if yeah. I cared that much about it, but let's have let's have the conversation. All right, what, what, what let's conversation explain, is it to have? Who cares? Let, let's explain the article, the post that, that you're referring to, and let's talk Richard about it. Richard Stallman, the creator of the GNU project and generally considered the creator of uh, everything Linux except for the kernel. Very militant in his belief in freedom and open source. Yes, as well as in societal freedom and open sourceness. He believes people should mm-hmm. be free as well. Some time ago in the glibc, which is the one of the compiling engines for Linux, uh, in the documentation, he left a joke about the abort method. Uh, the joke was about how 
the government will try to tell you when and you can and can't use this method, but in reality, it is free for you to use and it is at your own discretion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This joke has been in the dev- in the development documents for like a decade or or longer, just sometime in the nineties. It says so, almost twenty years, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And it comes with a little a little addendum to it that says RMS Richard M Stallman wrote the joke do not remove it April 30th mm-hmm. someone removed it and the push for the removal of this joke was accepted and pushed out to the official glibc repository a lot of people got really upset and said this is Richard Stallman's project how dare you when he says don't remove it it isn't offensive it's simply a criticism of government, et cetera, et cetera. And the person who wrote the original patch to remove it said, it's not helpful to the documentation. It's wasting space. This isn't a joke book. This is a documentation on GLibC. And lots and lots of controversy came out of this. But basically, mm-hmm. everyone started saying, well, this isn't Richard Stallman's project anymore. He hasn't been involved in it for years. And and it's being maintained by a large number of people who have permission to do access to these repositories and push out to the master branches and things like that. So Richard Stallman shows up and says, no, this is still mine. Just because I let you guys maintain it doesn't mean it's not mine. It's still mine, which is a sort of an interesting position for Mm -hmm. the nothing is mine, everything is open person. So he's sort of against his own ideology by saying, this is mine, put it back. Well, yeah, he's always been one of those everybody's everybody's free to have their own thoughts as long as their thoughts agree with mine sort of person you know right he and he and he's not the biggest dick about it but he yeah. is and, and i think all right so hippie. let's play devil's advocate a little and let, let's let's apply this to something that we probably feel is a little bit more meaningful so as far as the Lipsy stuff goes nothing changed right i mean it, re, it remained removed so the the question yeah it, it caused a little ruckus and i, I mean it's it's a libc, right? I'm sure that community is not exactly bubbling with controversy. So, any little thing that they could get their hands on, uh, I'm sure is is meaningful to them. But let let's take this because you know this. I, I see a lot of similarities with this and let's say Laravel. the the Laravel project. Yeah, that's where I was. That's where I was getting with this because of the last paragraph of this article. Each project has its own governance model. The authoritarian leader model is quite common in this space with many projects subject to the will of a hopefully benevolent dictator who can decide to accept or reject any change. Sometimes that model works better than others. GLibC itself improves its process and inclusiveness considerably when its single leader was replaced by a more consensus-oriented model. I find that a very damning statement for open source. Why is that? Because I look at open source projects and I don't see open source anymore. I see exposed source. One of the great ideals of Richard Stallman is that the community owns it. And mm-hmm. I believe that he has his own fallibility and, and sort of uh, mortality in mind when he thinks of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, knowing how he's spoken in the past, he says a lot of like, well, keep it in the docks until I die. And then you guys can decide what to do with it. But I just want it there for now. Mm-hmm. But he's lost control of this project. He's It's not his project. And the, the, the joke that he wants in the docks isn't there because he doesn't have permission to it anymore. And that to me is is open source at its best. I, 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 don't, I don't understand how, how that 
I don't understand how that adds any confusion about it. this is this is the epitome of open sourceness, right? I mean, right. To me, this is the epitome of. But then I look at Laravel, where it feels like exposed source. Where yes, you can read it, but unless you follow the ideology of the creator of the benevolent dictator, your code's never getting in the main branch. And right. there's no there's no way to even get the authority to get in the main branch. So what happened after I read this is I looked up what the update process is for glibc, what the schedule is. They have a lengthy list of rules on how you become a contributor and then how you become a main branch contributor and then how you become a voting authority and then how you become a package authorizing push authority. Like they have mm-hmm. all of these mm-hmm. stages, all this documentation about who can contribute and when, how the community gets together and decides who the maintainers are and what the content is going to be and how voting occurs. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But then you look at projects, and I hate to pick on Laravel, but I actually am lying by saying that. I love picking on Laravel. Laravel has no system in place for any kind of thing like that. And it became a really big problem two weeks ago. Well, let's be a little fair here. Laravel is not the only one that has a benevolent dictator. I think Python um, is that that was the one that I, I and I forget that person's name as well. But but there is a there is a path to contribute to the project. But like you said, there's a there's a choke point. There's not. There's not a consensus of a voting majority of you know three people saying yeah I like this patch and two saying no and it it goes goes in it's it's one person saying yeah I appreciate the two weeks you put in creating this patch don't particularly care for the approach you took gonna toss it to the side but I guess my point being there there is there is a way to contribute to Laravel without being a core maintainer or, or being Taylor. So you mentioned something two weeks ago. What what came up two weeks ago? I don't remember this. Taylor was put in the hospital for surgery. Oh, sudden, right. Sudden right, unexpected yeah. surgery. Yeah, there's enough people in the community, I think, and I'm sure there are other there are other trusted inner circle people to Taylor who have the keys to the kingdom where if anything happens. I was saying that's not a good example because if something happened to Taylor, even if nobody else had push rights to his repo, Somebody else could be able to take it over just with a fork. Well, a million people. Keep it that's the thing that it, it loses its authority, and you can take over the fork on GitHub, but you can't take over Laravel.com. No, I, I, I no. But John's point is, if if you aren't happy with the direction that a project like Laravel is going, you have because it's open source, you have the ability to fork it and maintain your own version of, of the project. Hmm. You know, if if you want that consensus, that board of people voting on what features go in and what features don't, then, you know, you fork it. See, that's, that's why I'm worried about the terminology here, though, is that to mm-hmm. me, open source project means implementing features that go out across the board, improving the software globally. If there's if I find a bug and decide that it's just going to be in my branch and fix it in my branch, that's not open source. That's not how you do open source. You have to contribute. You have to grow the community and help the community. And to me, the way Laravel and a lot of other projects like it are run isn't open source. It's exposed source. It's but, open to contri- contribution, but it's not open in the truest sense of what open means in open source. Uh, and, and I guide you to the it, the well. What's your what's an example of something that passes this stuff? Uh, the 
glibc where the community took it away from the creator and but said there's still a limited number we love of people you, but you're right? wrong you still have to go through a process to get your contribution accepted you have to build consensus and they have on the sourceware.org slash glib slash wiki slash consensus page you can see how consensus is built so you if i wanted to become a player in the glibc community this is a guideline on how to do it and if I wanted to go from nobody to someone who has push control over the master branch, I could because it's a it's a meritocracy. Yeah, but there, there, there are pluses document. there, but there are pluses and minuses to that approach. And I'm not saying one is better better than the other. I do think that Laravel's open source. I and I, I get what you're saying by the exposed source, but it's not. It's open source because. Again, you can fork it, you can create your own version of the project, and, and that is not completely unheard of in in our world. I mean, that's how we ended up with uh, MariaDB, right? It was the MySQL developers, after Oracle, they, they decided... That's a little messier, but yeah. It's a little messier, but it, it's a perfect example of where they said, hey, this is an open source project, we're not happy with the governance model put in place to maintain the existing project. We're going to fork it. We're going to put our own governance model in place, and we're going to maintain our own brand. And that's how Emacs. And that's I mean, something they to go back even oh. further. Emacs did that as well. Emacs versus X Emacs, and how they branched off because of disagreements from Richard M. Stallman and other open source developers. Um, and and that works. I you're gonna you're gonna murder me when I say this. Okay. I feel that when you start getting into the I'm enterprise software situation <laughs> why do we have to bring this up that's where that's where i'm at in my head but space. wait I, I actually wasn't done with my i, I wasn't I done with my point though i wasn't done with my point you can't argue for better or for worse in again you you started down this enterprise path with laravel we've had this discussion in the past that it's bleeding edge breakneck speed is very anti enterprise but it is one of the features of having one person controlling or, or a very small group of people at least controlling the release cycle of the project where when you get into these these projects that have these bigger governance models i like to look at cake php because i'm a fan of it i think it's very well organized i think they have a very good open source model in place but their release cycle is nowhere on nowhere near on par with what laravel's is and with with laravel and their quick releases as quick as it is the the patterns the the philosophies behind the framework stay very consistent because they're all coming from a very select few if not one person maintaining the 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 project as a whole i see benefits i see i see that same thing but we're at we're at week 19 of the year mm -hmm. and laraval is at the 21st release tagged release of the year so, so they really more the, than yeah, more than exactly. a week, which this is this is what is, i'm saying that is excessive yeah. i mean god could you imagine and, and we we've been with our greenfield app we've been trying to stay current with that Unfortunately, most most of the releases are pretty pretty generic. I mean, they're not they're not very impactful. But I get what you're saying. I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, the, the, that's a lot of releasing, and, and that again is one of the reasons why they're not positioned to be an enterprise solution. It, it, there there are shops that will see that as a drawback, and there are shops that will see that as a benefit. But those are the different open source models. But to, to discount it and say, well, that's not really open source is I, I don't think it's fair. It's it's very much open source. And if you don't like the governance model that they have on it, 
it, and again, I think we can all agree that we have some disagreements with it. But if you really don't like it, if you think it's costing you business or or you think it's detrimental to the community, then you create your own version of it. Yeah, I just my my issue as well is that open source means such a generic thing right now where you know what's your license Mm -hmm. really is what matters you know there's what 20 Mm -hmm. creative commons licenses to gnu's gpl berkeley those are all quote-unquote open source licenses but they have such a significant difference between them and what they mean and i don't know what i mean what what licenses larval under Uh, i think i think it's mit isn't it it's on there uh actually i don't even remember now that i say that um Let's look it up together, shall we? Well, there's no license file in the directory, in the root directory. There isn't? But they reference, okay, so they reference the MIT license. Where's he, uh, where's he reference it at? You're right, I don't see a license in the actual project. There's no license file, but it's in the readme MD. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at the very bottom. MIT is, MIT is my favorite license, man. That's the one to use. You know, what's funny is, if you remember... 20 years ago, or no, not 20 years ago, that'd be 1996, the early 2000s, open source was such an evil word, such an evil word. And now it's like, if a company isn't offering an open source solution, people are suspicious about them. You know, I was surprised by some of the companies that are providing open source now. I saw a Such really as? interesting project. Mm-hmm. And I looked at who was whose GitHub this this project was on, mm-hmm. and it's on Square's GitHub. Square is the the payment platform. Mm-hmm. They released a project called Sudo Pair. Yeah, <laughs> I was I saw this uh, I saw this come down my my uh, Twitter Twitter feed. Yeah, explain what Sudo Pair is. Normally, with Sudo, you have permissions in the Sudoers file. And it lets you run as root. Uh, this just replaces that with a network authentication where someone who does have permission can grant you permission to execute the query that you've requested to execute. And it's not only grant you permission, they, they monitor what you're doing as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's cool. It, it, it just does it like over an SSH tunnel. So it's it's pretty cool. What's funny is you might even work with people who are pretty familiar with the command line. But you introduce them to something like Tmux, and you show them how to share a screen, <laughs> and it blows their mind. It's it's like, hey, how are you seeing what I'm typing? I'm like, because I'm on the terminal with you. Well, and like the console's always been more advanced than, than the GUI. The GUI has always been behind by a little bit. So it shouldn't surprise anybody that the console has functionality that the GUI doesn't have yet, or has functionality that the GUI does have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I saw this and I was amazed that this package didn't exist until now. That no one had thought, hey, a peer authorized sudo might be an important thing to have. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. But I mean, it would be kind of weird to coordinate, right? Because you'd have to make sure that other person's on their system. And What I couldn't tell from watching the video or the little screen share they had on there was it looked like when you started the session, you had to copy and paste something to put in another terminal. But it looked like they were logged into the same user, which was not very... It was the same user. He was giving a terrible use case. Yeah. <laughs> a non-existent well, use case. But if if I can just copy and paste that into another terminal of my, of my own, what's that really accomplishing? Well, he was using an account that had permissions on both, and he was on the same machine, and he was just doing it as a, as a bad demo. Okay. Then I didn't follow it clearly. Is it like certain users have the right to be like the admin or yeah. the, the engineer in that case? Yeah. So one user has actual sudo permission and the other user has request sudo permission. 
and it goes to oh, someone. Oh, okay. And it goes out to someone who has suit has actual pseudo permission, and they pass it through. Gotcha. So it's so that person could do a pseudo session themselves. Yes. It's a bad, he gives a very bad example in that video. Well, my, I guess what I'm trying to get at is if it were me and you, what if I, one of us had to watch the other at all times? I probably dings you or something, throws a notice on the screen. You can probably bind it with, with push or growl or something. No, but with that example you were saying is I, I ask you for permission, but you already have pseudo access, right? Right. Now you can do anything you want on your own. But there should be a rule where you can't do anything on your own. You have to ask somebody else. No, no. I'm the admin. You have to ask me permission and then I grant it to you. Right. <laughs> what if we're on a team together, just me and you, uh-huh. and we always wanted to make sure the other person knew what was going on? Oh. this You can't you can't do that in this situation. No, I don't think that's for this. I don't think that's this. I think this is a manager-employee hierarchy thing. Yeah. Especially like a junior dev we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know? You have a junior dev, a junior DevOps guy or operations guy. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's it's cool. I mean, very limited use case, but probably probably worth having. Good to know it's out there. Can we talk? Can we talk about Microsoft for a few minutes? What would you like to I'm talk so about? I'm so in love. Let's. I, I want to start with you, your article here. Okay, go this ahead. Is, I mean, you can have it. This is the beginning. The beginning of Microsoft sort of fixing just Years. some of the dumbest stuff of. Years and years, 20, 30 years. Notepad supports the Unix command line break now. The, the so, carriage return. The carriage yeah. return. So now <laughs> Notepad can read any normal file that anything else ever could. And Notepad <laughs> was the only one that couldn't. Yeah, so so for those of that, that might not understand what we're talking about, if you've never had to work on a Windows machine and edit Unix files then consider yourself lucky. But uh, Notepad does a end of line at the end of a of a sentence to do like a, a carriage return. That, like Thomas said, every other reader understands a carriage return. But, uh, but for some reason, Notepad did not for years. And now it does. For decades, for literally 30 yeah. years. So now you can open up these, these text files for, that are off a Unix system. You can open up a Notepad and, and actually read them. Yeah, big announcement. Along the same lines, they have added new functionality to Excel. Excel. You can now use, yeah, really. Uh, you can now use JavaScript custom functions, essentially turning Excel into HTML tables. So now, if you know JavaScript and are forced to use Excel, you can use JavaScript <laughs> in Excel. It seems like someone came up with the idea and said, yeah, but that would make Excel obsolete. That would prove how obsolete that it really is. And they said, yeah, but do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so now user-defined functions can have JavaScript, uh, Power BI, custom visuals. They've got this whole page about this new functionality, and it really just says reports. Graph reports are pretty in Excel now. One of them is just a fucking word cloud. <laughs> so you can see where they're focusing their attention, because word clouds being the most important way of delivering data. It seems like Microsoft's getting ready to throw up their hands and say Linux is the way to go. Like, we can't do it anymore. And especially with the way things are going with Windows 10, people are getting ads in their tw- in their uh, uh, start menus now. Uh, yeah, there's recommended Seriously? apps in your start menu. There's apps that every update... Uh, King makes uh, Candy Crush and crap like that. Those games are getting downloaded as part of Windows updates. Yeah, it sucks. It's nasty. I, I my, my mom got a new 
Windows machine, and I hit that little start menu, and I'm asking, I'm like, why do you have, uh, it, it was one of these Clash of Clans sort of games. I'm like, why do you have Clash of Clans yeah, on yeah. She goes, I don't know, it's, it's always there when I click click that button. I'm like, what? You've never... Candy, Candy Crush is installed as part of Windows 10, which is so weird to me. So, and so it's, it's, the, it's the new Minesweep. There was a fascinating article on Reddit where somebody had said, if you type in Fire F, F-I-R-E-F, then it recommends uh, Internet Explorer. Even if you have Firefox installed, you have to type in Firefox to get Firefox to highlight to be the first choice. And a bunch of people in... Oh, you're, you're, you're saying in the little start yeah, menu? Search on the start. A bunch of people in Poland and Europe said, that's not happening to me. And it turns out that's because there's laws against that in those countries. So that the international editions just bend the laws as much as possible. It's so it's such scumbag behavior from an operating system company. I, I find it so strange. So we had a meetup last night. Great, great talk by one of one of my uh, Daryl from from our Diego Dev Group uh, and CTO of Donation Match, which is which is a sister project of uh, Diego Dev. I have to keep reminding Daryl every time he he brings up donation match, but uh, yeah, he did a talk on on uh, Century and uh, logging, and you know, logging is just one of those things I can I completely can geek out on, but like when I'm working on a project and trying to get things to market, I, I don't have time for that. Like, I love logging, I love all the cool things you can do with it, but it's it's such uh, uh, icing. Uh, on top of the cake it's like i don't that that is so far from anything i'm worried about right now let me get this functionality done first just make sure you're gdpr compliant yeah and, and that was actually one of the uh one of the cool things about the century solution is it allowed you to filter things and all that it, it filtered a bunch of stuff by default like passwords and i'm sure things like social security and things like that but you could uh, you could customize it to filter, look for and filter other things out of your log files. On, on the whole filtering, there's actually an interesting conversation around if it's being sent over the wire. So is there a way to block it, you know, before you even send it to Sentry? That way they don't possibly have it in their log somewhere. Which was an issue with Twitter this mm-hmm. week. Last week. Last week. And we covered it on the podcast, so I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's relevant. Had to do wrong. Why not? Okay, I've tried to end this show like three times now. You guys keep going, so I wasn't going to do it again. No. Video Why games? Not? Do you say something <laughs> about video games? Did you see did you see Thanos and Fortnite? Yeah, it's not that impressive. It's awesome. It's cool. It's a nice it's a nice crossover. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a Fortnite guy. I'm a couch gamer. I I I, I do joist, I do controller stuff. Fortnite's on um, PlayStation? You can't play against people on a mouse and keyboard though. Well, I think you can. I mean, you you can't practic- practically. It's the the platform is Microsoft and PC versus PlayStation, so the PlayStation players are only on the PlayStation platforms. Microsoft. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I know so. I I, I know you're wrong. I'm actually, 100 percent correct on this. PlayStation cannot you're, play you're, with PC players. You're 112 percent wrong. I know for a fact. I've talked to Bill Gates. That would be Microsoft. And again. we all decided. Um, yeah. no, Microsoft platform but is open wrong. because they're uh, in second place in the console market. PlayStation is in first place, and so they get to control the openness of their platform. And it's on mobile too, and the mobile people. No, the mobile mobile is just against cross, mobile, and that's over. owned by Tencent, which is a different company altogether. You're so wrong about all of that. I'm sure of it. I'm going to look it up. Let me see if I can find it. 
because I, I like proving you wrong. Um, there's been interesting developments in the gaming industry lately where people are being convicted of cheating and hacking in video games. Uh, most recently, a World of Warcraft DDoS attacker got a year in jail, but the company Epic that owns Fortnite is actually suing a 14-year-old hacker and his parents for intentionally disrupting the marketplace that is their game, and they're winning. And there's a lot of interesting conversation coming out of this saying basically hacking is no longer an innocent thing. Hacking is is disrupting billion-dollar industries, uh, and that video games, as much as people want to brush them aside, are one of the largest entertainment industries in the world right now. So we're seeing interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm not much of a gamer myself, but no. Now you just watch them. I do. I, I I am a little YouTube junkie and watch watch those guys uh, watch those guys play. I got uh, Player Unknown's mobile on my phone the other night, and I won my first game, and then immediately uninstalled it. <laughs> You're like, that's it. It doesn't get any better than this. I'm done. I'm walking away. Well, it's either yeah. There's there's two scenarios. Either I'm at my peak already, and I've proven everything I need to to myself, or this company that owns the license, Tencent, is notorious for the the old bait and switch, making you feel good immediately and then lowering the success rate until you pay money. And I'm pretty convinced that that's what happened, that I, I won the like game. You don't like paying money, do you? I don't like being told that I'm playing against users when it's actually bots whose job is to let me win, which is probably oh, is what that what, Is that what you think happened? It's probably what happened, um, because Tencent is known for that kind of behavior. Like, they, they put the gambling in... in the whole loot box system. They really know what they're doing when it comes to psychological manipulation. Fair enough. Never understood the whole loot box thing. I, I, I remember that was a TF2 thing and everybody got so excited about it. And it's like everybody, everybody wanted to trade me. I, I was, I was, uh, I got on TF2 on the Mac when it was first available. And, uh, as a reward, you're given, um, iPod earbuds for your character. And I had so many people begging me to trade me for those earbuds. I'm like, they literally do nothing. They, they have absolutely no impact to your character on any level. They don't, they're not really functional. They don't do anything, but everybody yeah. wanted the, the earbuds. Easiest $45 <laughs> okay. I've ever made. I, I know what? for a fact you've made twice that much for much easier. <laughs> All right. Told you guys, I, I, I'm curious about what last week's going to do, but uh, our week before, the 103, the Longhorn one, all sorts of tweets and conversations went out there. I had forgotten that that was what that show was about, the, our trip to Longhorn. And then and then I was kind of disappointed that the guys reached out to us and say, said, hey, you know we didn't fire you yet. You, you know that, right? But then again, maybe they, maybe they didn't because they, fired you know, they kind of did. All right, I think that's it. That, uh, that'll wrap up the show this week. Uh, we, we, we had to go drag John through this one, kicking and screaming, so we should let him go to bed, I guess. I bet you with very little effort, you could edit him out of the entire episode. Please, please do. That, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is Thanks for listening to episode 105 of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Congdon. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep, Keep it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. 
Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.